Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're all very welcome to this morning's Signpost series webinar, which is brought to you in association with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, National Rural Network and Food Drink Ireland Skillnet. So this morning we are talking about acres and we are joined by John Muldowney, Head of Agri-Environmental Structures Division in the Department of Agriculture. Uh, we have Pat Morrison, Agricultural Inspectors in Acres in Johnstown Castle. And we have Dr. Michelle Carney, Head of Locally Led uh, Division in the Department. And our advi- my colleague, uh, Terry Carr, who's a, a Chagas Dry Stock Advisor in Kilkenny. So, John, it's a long time since... Um, since I started working in agri-environment um, reps and EOS and acres and reap, and I would say there's never been such time that there's been so much activity in the field, and I mean really in the field at the moment. I'd say there's never as much walking of fields in Ireland all at the same time over this summer. So huge activity, and I think it's it's uh, it's worth noting what we're that the massive amount of work that's going on. It is indeed. Um, it's incredible. I suppose it's great to see the role of farm advisors in trying to reorientate towards addressing the environmental challenges that are out there. Um, but again, it's also acknowledged the time consumption that that is, you know, so like we are watching it closely. We're bringing in a lot of new technology to try and help the system along the way, like the app. I know it might not be the user experience maybe that people want to see at, at the moment, but it's still it is helpful if it was paper based. I don't know where we'd start in something like this. And when we've you consider, come a long way. Yeah. We have come a long way, haven't we, from the from the pens and papers in 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 um in reps long ago. So yeah, no, I think it's it's just it's amazing for, for somebody who's worked through all the different schemes. So John, um we will hand over to you to do your presentation. Well, good morning, everyone. As Catherine said, my name is uh, John Muldowney. I'm the head of the Agricultural and Environmental Structures Division down in Johnson Castle in Wexford. Um I think it's probably last October, maybe I presented at the, the launch of Acres in terms of what was happening regarding the farm sustainability plan and everything around that application window. So I suppose a lot has happened since then. There has been a phenomenal uptake in terms of the scheme itself. You know, 46,000 applicants being approved into the scheme is beyond what anyone could have been planning for within this system. So we are trying to do our best in terms of everything to keep everything moving forward. And I suppose in particular, it's the results-based payments of the folks in here and around the uh, Acres CP side, where I guess they had a very simplified application process last year. And it's trying to just set the broader context of what's, where the Acres CP fits and where it fits within, I suppose, the CAP strategic plan, the local action plans are still a work in progress by the CP teams. And I suppose where results-based fit, scoring fits within that, that it's not just, I suppose, that scale payment rate, which maybe people are looking at simplistically, that there is a broader, I suppose, positioning of results-based within um, all these different plans that are there. Um, so I suppose maybe, as Catherine said, like Acres, it's an evolution, you know, of the last 25 odd years in terms of where, where we've come from too. Um, you know, everyone still reflects on reps, what it was and the high levels of uptake and the whole farm plan nature. But again, it was all a paper-based system that was back then. 
it all took a lot of time to get through the applications, going out with your yellow markers and red markers and blue markers to mark all the features on the map that we have gone significantly beyond that to where we are now. We've been taking learnings and watching. It's always been an evolution process in terms of what's there. So we had AOS followed it, you know, a list of actions that all had different points in terms of uh, ranking and selecting applicants that were approved into the scheme. The last time around, then we had uh, the last scheme from 2015 there up until last year. And again, that was trying to evolve, again, those action-based issues and trying to prioritize it into different target lands. So you had that tierage of one, two, three of designated land, priority actions, and then general actions. And at the same time that all that has been happening regarding our national agri-environmental schemes, there's been a lot of smaller programs that I guess we're starting off in research-based, maybe around the burn conservation and results-based. And that's been slowly but surely being scaled up through various elements of department-funded schemes or life-funded schemes that are out there. So the EIP has done a lot, again, in terms of scaling up results-based. Again, just at that pilot, the project level of, for example, uh, the Hen Harrier project or the Freshwater Pearl Mussel project, um, and trying to see how it worked at those individual project scales. And again, there has been significant learnings. And I think everyone broadly bought into the concept that results-based is a really good model to go. Um, it's providing greater value added in terms of environmental output and also pr providing that direction of travel for farmers that if they're only marginally above what is baseline, it gives them an incentive to move that a little bit further on beyond that. So I suppose in anticipation of preparing for the CAP strategic plan in 2023, uh, we operated the REAP pilot program. So again, this was a, a results-based scheme that was operated on a pilot basis nationally. And the purpose of that was really to see how it would work at a national level of operating this, getting more farm advisors involved in results-based scoring and trying to see how the, the department application systems, computer systems, payment systems would all hold up to this. And we've been trying to build on that in terms of where we are with the acres moving forward. And overall, I think we're making good progress, but there's still a lot of improvements that can be made. So it's important when we're looking at acres I know there's a tendency to compare it back, you know, to what reps was. Maybe a lot of people are still doing, and we're significantly gone beyond that now in terms of where our, our data source and information are coming to drive on an electronic application system. But some are also comparing acres to where it is on, I suppose, year one against what were very evolved schemes in the EIP that Hen Harrier, I think, maybe had five years experience doing what they're doing. So what they finished with last year was probably very enhanced compared to what they had on day one starting out. So again, it's important to look at that perspective as well as to where we are. Again, just to reflect where we are with the acre scheme itself, it's the, it's the flagship agri-environmental scheme within the CAP strategic plan. There's two streams within the acre scheme itself. So the cooperation scheme, which is those colored zones across the country, which basically have a very high density of designated lands or high status water catchments within their territories. And the CP teams are developing local action plans, which I'll go into a little bit more, more detail for each of those areas. And then acres general that's available to farmers nationally that aren't in those zones themselves. Um, acres general, 
is primarily made up of prescription-based actions that are very similar to, to DLOS. So again, it's an action that's put in place. You have to follow that action or there's consequences for not following the precise nature of the prescription that's provided on it. On the other hand, the results-based is a very simplistic, it's a payment scale. And that scale is representing that, that marginal gain that a farmer is providing above what is baseline conditionality. So out of four, you're getting a low level payment because you're, there's a low marginal gain above that conditionality element that farmers are paid for through pillar one. Whereas if you're scored in a 10, there's a high level of payment because you're a significant improvement above what that baseline conditionality. And not alone then is it a reflection of that improvement above what conditionality is. But over time, farmers Again, repeat scoring, they can see a direction of travel on their own land that if they start out and score four, they can try and improve up along that as you would if you started out with, you know, an animal, you know, scoring a four stars or a three star suckler cow. And over time, the farmer can strive to improve to have five star suckler cows under herd. But this is all at the, the land basis. So again, it's, it's important to just have a summary of that. Um, I guess going back then on the numbers, as I said, it's a 1.5 billion scheme. Overall, we have tendered out and put in place eight CP teams. Effectively, it's five teams. Uh, one of the teams is covering three zones and another is covering two. So we have five teams covering eight um, zones that are out there. We've trained up last year. We had our acres training program to approve the acres advisors. So there's almost 700 advisors on our list. And that resulted in 46,000 participants. And again, each of these steps is a significant resource to try and put it in place and ensure that we have a consistent, clear, uh, transparent process out there for farmers that everyone is fairly treated in terms of what we're trying to achieve. The 46,000 participants have probably a net of about 1 point, you know, 1.15, 1.2 million hectares of land is now under an agro-environmental contract. And that's just looking at those area-based actions together with all the area that's within the CP zone applicants because that's all going to be scored. Again, in terms of the mapping features and my colleague Pat Morrison had know a lot about, uh, I suppose, setting up our decision support system for the farm sustainability plan. Overall, during that application window last year, farm advisors mapped out whether they are those Parcel features are point source features of planting trees. More than 300,000 features have been mapped onto the, the BLAM system for the application. And that's what we're now trying to track in terms of making payments. And within those 300,000 features, about 600,000 hectares of the land is now moving towards a results-based payment. And that's where we have this big, um, expansive work that we're presently facing at the moment. Um, again, just the overall numbers to look at, the areas that are there, again, results-based is a big one. And again, an important one there is the commonage. So within commonage, there's almost 270,000 hectares of commonages now within the acre scheme. And again, we've slightly broadened the eligibility to include the, the rented land in it because of the nature of commonage. Or anyone that's in commonage, the parcel will remain part of a, an acres agreement no no matter what. So again, that was broadening out that a small little bit. So, and I think it's about 10,000 farmers that are in that. And moving on then, on the prescription-based, what was low input permanent pasture, 
I suppose the equivalent of that now is extensively grazed pasture, and there's 182,000 hectares of that. So again, big numbers that are involved in all of this. Um, then moving on, wild bird cover, it's probably down on what it would have been previously because it's not a priority action. But again, it's a significant area and where it's put in place, it is thought to be a significant be benefit to farmland bird species and trying to provide that winter food reservoir for birds to farmland birds to live on. 22,000 hectares of catch crops, uh, quite a lot, again, trying to contribute to that water quality challenge of ensuring that there's green cover in arable fields over the wintertime. 500,000 trees, and I know farmers mightn't be over keen on afforestation, but there definitely is an interest in planting trees by the number that's put in place there. Uh, water course being fenced, five and a half thousand kilometers. Again, you know, just big numbers that are becoming involved in this. And then on hedgerow planting, which hedges have to be put in place by spring of next year. So there's 2,000 kilometers of new hedge to be planted. And this contrasts with about 1,000 kilometers of new hedge that was put in place during the, the lot scheme itself. So again, moving through those in 11,500 barn owl boxes. So like I've seen in the media last week, there's a bit of a run on the barn owl boxes at the moment, trying to keep it all moving. So again, it's important to acknowledge the work that farm advisors have done in trying to support farmers deliver these actions in terms of where we are and what that is doing to address those significant environmental challenges around biodiversity, water quality and climate action that farmers are willing and, and wanting to engage on these issues. Um, in terms of the timelines, again, as I say, a lot has happened there since uh, last October. So in March, April this year, approval letters and approval summaries were sent out to farmers in terms of the actions that they're now approved on. Um, during February to May, then advisors were, I suppose, applying for the annual BIS application and again, confirming that you were applying on whatever actions that were in the acre scheme that was on that. Uh, for the CP, there wasn't any as yet until the scoring is done, um, but that, that BIS application will reflect the CP areas next year. Um, March to May, the CP teams were delineating and assigning scorecards to all those CP parcels. So again, they were dealing with that 18,500 applicants approved in Acre CP and trying to assign the most appropriate scorecards out of a list of 10 to the parcels that are out there. And behind the scenes, IT in here in the department we're developing systems then to allow us to be able to issue those scorecards out to farm advisors and the development of the AgriSnap app. Um, May to July, the CP teams uh, submit the CP farm plan on GLAM, and that's available to farm advisors at the moment as well to see what scorecards are on a farm by farm basis. Um, 31st May, we had our webinar for advisors. And the scorecards were sent through release to AgriSnap in terms of it was. So I know it came fast on the back of the, the base application window. Um, and that's, I suppose, when the whole process then started out. And then you have to score your uh, farms then during the period June to August um, using AgriSnap and GLAM. And that's sort of where we are at the minute. And then coming up, Later on this year, you're going to have the GLAM portal will open in terms of non-productive investment applications. So farms that score low in their results-based action will have a, a chance to apply for these actions. And then in 2024, 
there a further additional list of landscape actions be available for the CP teams to apply for in terms of landscape and a cooperative approach. So just coming to the, again, this Acres CP and everything is new. So, you know, just to contrast, so Acres General, the listed 31 actions that are in Acres General, they were all approved directly within the CAP strategic plan on the basis of the actions. And we had various restrictions, as you know, built into the, the farm sustainability planning process to try and avoid any negative impacts of the Acres General actions being applied in areas. So I know some farmers may have felt they were disadvantaged over, for example, they weren't allowed to plant trees or hedges in areas that were marked down as potentially having wader bird species. And that's the sort of restriction that we put in just at a whole national level. Whereas in the Acres CP, we were moving this on to another level. So these CP teams have over the last number of months been developing local action plans, looking specifically at the conservation targets, whether they are biodiversity, archaeological, or uh, water quality based to develop plans for these areas. Uh, those draft plans are now with us and we're trying to get them screened in terms of ecological, I suppose, oversight of them. And that's providing a framework now for these additional non-productive investments and in landscape actions, or I guess we could consider these complementary actions or supporting actions that sit on top of the results-based payment. So if you score low, the scorecard is given an indication as to what pressures and threats might be affecting a specific habitat or species. And this list of non-productive investments or complementary actions are there to try and help address those challenges. So they're sort of intertwined together. And then overall, the CP teams are there to better support farmers deliver these environmental outcomes in these sensitive landscapes. So I know, again, when you look at this practically on one-on-one, -on -one, it's difficult at times for farmers to sort of implement change. So these CP teams will help facilitate that and ensure that, I guess, all these actions can be delivered in line with avoiding any negative impacts to the array of, I suppose, conservation concerns that might exist in these areas. So it should help to smooth line all that work. And then the CP teams will also act as advocates of what farmers are doing to protect the environment with local communities. So again, it's trying to put greater visibility around what active farming is doing in the rural landscape to look after the environment. And I guess it's trying to build up that awareness of what's happening and trying to broaden out farmers' own knowledge from just production to these broader environmental issues and how the two can be worked together. So to do all this, the CP teams will be liaising with all the local organizations from National Parks and Wildlife, Law Pro, Farm Organizations, and others that might want to be engaged in, again, in terms of line, line of sight of what actions are being developed. Um, the CP teams for the landscape actions will have the capacity to engage locally with farmers and with the advisors to help support delivery of these non-productive investments. And then overall, when we look five years down the road, the CP teams are also going to be helping with the monitoring and evaluation of progress with habitat improvement. And overall, the CSP has set out you know, a very high ambition of trying to show improving trends of habitat restoration, species recovery on at least 30% of our designated sites and to try and improve a thousand water bodies. So 
again, thinking about those water challenges that it's been in the media, again, the Acre Scheme and Acre CP are particularly trying to target those um, issues and trying to help us illustrate what farmers are doing in those areas, addressing those challenges, that it's not that we, we won't know what's happening. So then, again, just a summary again in terms of the overview of the Acre CP structure. As I say, overall, the core payment of up to €7,000 that's made available is for results-based actions. And there's a series of 10 scorecard types, and the CP teams assign those according to the habitat types that are on farms within those CP zones. Uh, there's non-productive investments in landscape actions then that will be available for later this year and early next year. And they allow a farmer to build up an extra three and a half thousand on top of that per year. And some of that non-productive investment landscape action funding can be brought forward if you need to do a lot of work in year, you know, one, two or three, you can use a big chunk of that money together to address those uh, non-productive issues. And it's the combination then of that core payment, non-productive investment and landscape action delivers the whole farm payment in terms of what's available for a farmer. So overall, then the overall payment that's there for any acre CP applicant over five years is up to 52 and a half thousand euro. It's a huge amount of money, but again, it's more targeted in terms of the actions that's there and more in terms of this results-based improvement that it's all for that increasing marginal gain over what conditionality is providing. There's a max of 7,000 euro, as I said, for the core payment of the results-based and or combination of general actions. But some CP farmers don't fit neatly in the CP area. They have land outside and maybe gaining from acres general actions outside the CP boundary. And then potentially there's an extra three and a half thousand, as I said, for these supporting actions through non-productive investments and landscape actions. And the non-productive investments and landscape actions, it's an annual application to move forward. Um, again, just going on the, the rationale of what's there. So because of, as I said, th this high density of designated lands or high status water lands within these CP areas, our priority in terms of working the fencing is that uh, we ring fenced at the start results-based funding for every hectare that's in the CP zone up to that 7,000 euro. So for private land, it was ring fenced at a value of 300 euro per hectare and for commonage ring fence at 145. And that was to ensure that we were trying to retain funding capacity to deliver results-based outcomes, rather than having farmers select general prescription-based actions at the expense of results-based payments. And that was the function and rationale of trying to move the way we did. Um, if a farmer scores very low, you know, again, a low core payment, they can use funds in the non-productive investments to bring them up to 52,500. So for example, if you were scoring less than your 7,000 euros, say five, you have your 3,500 plus that two to use towards non-productive investments. Again, all farmers equally get that chance up towards the 52,500. And overall, then you have to think about it that these scorecards, while there is a lot of work in them now, they're going to be acting as a decision support to inform the types of non-productive investments or landscape actions that are most beneficial to deliver environmental improvement in these areas. 
So the two issues are interrelated. It's not that the scorecards sit independently of the non-productive investments. So there is that relationship. And the scorecards also, and I'll go into this a little bit later on, they have, I suppose, a section on threats and pressures. So if the scorecard is identifying various threats and pressures, there's MPIs there to help address or alleviate those threats and pressures. Um, on the results-based payment, again, probably have seen this slide before. So overall, results-based payment is allowing payments to be linked to biodiversity or habitat quality. So in the picture there, you see your monoculture grass sward. It's a low-level payment, still meeting baseline or just above baseline, whereas your more diverse structured sward and broader range of species that's in the picture there on the top right, um, again, that gets a higher level payment. So higher quality, higher payment, very much sim similar to, you know, your milk quality payments that are there, the higher the fat and protein, the higher your level of milk, milk check or in cattle grading, EUROP, your U's are getting a higher payment than, than your O's or P's. So again, this is this similar and it allows that incentive structure to be put in place going forward. Additionally, it's also allowing avoiding the need for a prescription to be in place. It's just, it's the farmer can do what they want to do when they want. Obviously, it's supporting more extensive type of production systems. So there is tips on, you know, I suppose guidelines of what type of grazing level will benefit the structure or, you know, reducing fertilizer inputs. But if we go out and find that you have spread them, you know, we, we're not following up on that in inspection process. It's the, the results-based score indicates the quality of the output that's been delivered on the ground. So that's, I suppose, the advantage that's in it. Um, in terms of some examples on the scoring criteria, so generally scorecards are met up with three elements. The ecological in, uh, integrity of the site, which is looking at the range of, I suppose, non-productive species that are present broadleaf plants that are there and there is a broad list on each of the 10 scorecards it's looking at those negative indicator species and it's not just looking at the count of them but it's also that i suppose abundance the level of cover that's in a field and getting a relevant score on that and then on the structural diversity of the sward so as i said an even sward it's all the same height that's a, a lower score within the system as opposed to one that has tufts of grass spread across the area is providing that structural diversity and cover and different heights for insects and everything that benefit bird life. So that's, I suppose, the element that's within that. Then there's a hydrological integrity section for, I suppose, the more wetland type habitats, such as the wader bird, which is the picture you see there, or the low input peat grassland scorecard has in peatland, have assessments around the level of wetness that would be in it. And again, there's wetland indicator species, but it's also looking at, uh, I suppose, the level of functioning of artificial drainage that might exist in a site. And again, it's scored accordingly on that. And then the third part that's common again to all of them is this threats and pressures to the future, I suppose, survival or improvement. So that's looking at those damaging activities, bare soil or erosion around river banks, you know, is there non-native invasive species starting to take over? Is bracken starting to take over? And they're all scored in their own right. I think there's six sub-elements that are within that. And then it's the combination of those gives you a score from one to 10 on 
each individual scorecard that's done. And there's a payment band then for bands four to 10, um, indicatively. So coming on to, I guess, the extent of scorecards and in Acre CP, the CP teams have been leading on this work. So again, this is all coming back. It's all linking into the local action plans. The CP teams have been looking at all the various land designations that are within those to try and best target the most appropriate scorecard to the various plots of land. So overall, as I said, we have a, a range of 10 scorecards, two of them. Uh, the low input peak grassland and the low input grassland are also the results based scorecards that are used in uh, Acres General itself. So it has been a common training process that um, the Acres CP teams have provided to train advisors on the scorecards. And again, just looking at this, you can see the areas. So the low input grassland and peatland are probably the most prominent scorecards that are out there you know, making up the vast majority of that. And you can see that by the farm numbers at each one as well. And on the, the low input grassland, it's also important to be aware that there's about 11 and a half thousand acres general farmers that also have this scorecard, you know, and some of the CP farmers can also have both CP low input grassland and general low input grassland. So it's important when you're scoring to pay attention to that. And again, you can see then for some of the other more specialist scorecards, they're a much smaller footprints, such as the Corn Creek. Um, the wader bird itself is limited to breeding wader, 3,000 hectares of scorecard. And you can see the range of wader species that are covered by that scorecard. Uh, the Burn Wind Ridge, again, that's there. And again, looking at it, it's a bigger area now that's put into the burn than previously. So I think it was... 320 farmers were in the burn scheme. Now we have 420 and the burn CP team has in excess of 1200 farmers in the CP. So again, more farmers are getting an opportunity to engage in results-based actions. Um, again, on the rough grazing, again, coming back to the hen harrier and barn owl. So small mammals and small birds, it's benefiting. So there's a lot of rough grazing that's out there. And again, there's a woodland scrub car being put in as well. So I think that's quite useful to look at that in terms of, again, just linking back the purpose. It's not that these scorecards are sitting independently of everything else, but they are fitting back into these local action plans that are trying to prioritize the conservation targets within each of these zones. The scorecard then is indicating the quality of the habitat that's there. It's identifying threats and pressures. And then following from that, there's the list of supplementary actions through non-productive investments and landscape actions that are there to help you address the pressures that might be there affecting, I suppose, the improvement of these issues. Uh, the scorecard app, again, there's a scorecard app to try and help streamline the flow of information on that. So uh, that's out there without it. It wouldn't be feasible at all. Um, so again, it's just trying to go through that. And there is a lot of work has gone into this as well. Um, then moving on to the supporting actions. So these are the non-productive investments and landscape actions. So they're there to address the environmental issues on the farm or, and to contribute to the environmental objectives where farmers can improve their field scores through better management. 
Generally, the non-productive investments compared to the landscape actions are smaller in scale and are standalone on a single farm. And they're classed into three groupings, habitat and wildlife supports, farm infrastructure, and then scrub and track maintenance, which is only available in the burn area. And again, we're targeting to have the application process for this open to advisors, probably Q4 of 23. And again, there will be a farm plan to go with this and it will be approved then to start those actions. Farmers will be approved to start those actions in January 2024. Then in parallel to this, there's these, I suppose, much bro broader actions that need to be managed at a landscape level. So maybe not every farm would have them. Uh, maybe it's groups of farms trying to come together to target them. And it's the CP teams will be working closely with participants to try and figure out what to do in this landscape package. Again, these will be informed by the objectives identified in the local action plans and with farmers as to what they're willing to do and where they're willing to do it to try and develop, I suppose, these um, local action plan packages that can link in and better target the non-productive investments. So the non-productive investments will even fit into this to try and get better targeting at the landscape scale. And again, for the process here, the DLAM system will probably open in 2024 uh, to allow the CP teams to start engaging on this and creating landscape action plans for farmers to participate in this. So again, there's a lot coming down the line on this. And I suppose everyone's been wondering what type of actions these might cover. So I have a couple of slides now you know, obviously there's still some fine tuning to be done on them and to agree to payment levels. But again, this is just to give a sense of the actions that are, I suppose, we feel are starting to make their way through the non-productive investment and landscape action process itself. So these are the habitat and wildlife support. So a lot of them are similar actions to what have been, would have been in Acres General. And then some of them are more specialized, such as bracken management or there'll be issues around management of heritage sites and farms. And all these actions to sort of provide an opportunity for farmers to address low scoring lands and also for farmers that might have gotten a low overall core payment to try and bump up their payment to a higher level to get through that. So again, you see some common actions like bat boxes, traditional orchards, planting trees, stone wall maintenance. These are all ones that were there in Acres General and will be quite similar moving forward as well. And then there's some of them that are slight different variants that's there. So, you know, we only had um, barn owl boxes um, in acres, whereas there's a whole range of the various bird boxes that are in this. Uh, wild bird cover is also available. And again, the principally purpose here, the wild bird cover on the plot. So if you have a results-based payment, you won't be able to do the wild bird cover plot on the same area because it's results-based. But a farmer may have private lands outside the CP zone where the likes of this would apply. And then in the results-based paid field, you might be able to do the wild bird cover strips. But again, it's the CP teams will be doing a screening of these actions that when you apply for them, they'll be trying to check that it's not interfering with the overall conservation objectives of, of the zone that you're in in question. And again, an arable action here as well. Um, then there's infrastructure type ones again that could be i guess partly beneficial to the i suppose the, the more productive side of farming so these are all fencing type actions installation of gates um 
the burn had the uh, installation of heritage gates, you know, that's there, mobile cattle feed troughs, uh, feed bins, uh, pasture pumps, you know, so these all have a productive element that farmers may be interested in. And, you know, over the next couple of weeks, we'll be getting, I suppose, the payment levels out for these and making it more visible together with the application process. Then specifically in the burn CPO only, again, this is just working on from what they previously had. So these are the scrub management options that are there. And each one of these would have different levels of payment available to it. And again, the CP teams would be screening and approving that, I suppose, the removal of scrub isn't having a perverse negative impact on something. So again, that's all part of the process that the CP teams will be covering afterwards, which in the nationally led scheme, we just couldn't get down to the level of resolution that involved in some of those. Then moving on to the landscape actions. And again, the list is longer here. And you can see some of these ones then are getting into more technical ones that are harder to implement and at bigger scale, such as management, uh, Himalayan basm, Japanese knotweed, knotweed, giant hogberry, gunner ma management, you know, predator management for protecting wader bird nests. Again, like, you know, the issue here is for CP teams to identify that there is nesting birds there and there is an issue to address. It's not just to say, well, I want to do predator proof stock control. Like, so that's the practicality that we're trying to work through on, on some of these. So there is a, a broader process that's there. But again, I think overall, this is just given a sense of that level of further actions that'll be there that both advisors and CP teams will be providing support to farmers to implement these actions to try and help improve the scoring of lands that's on the ground. Then on uh, hydromorphology, um, so again, you can see a number of issues here around, I guess, management of drains on farms, whether that's single span, span bridges to try and get over the drain and keeping livestock and machinery out of it, or whether it might be blocking drains with peat plugs or with timber dams or other issues to try and, I suppose, slow the flow of water, leaving peatland to try and rebuild those uh, carbon pools that are out there. So again, it's a huge range of actions that are on it. And again, you can see even with the removal of scrub, there's different payment rates will be there for high cover, medium cover, low, low cover. So there's a lot of detail to come into this moving forward. Um, these are just a couple of pictures from the freshwater pearl mussel. And again, you can see how fast over a small number of years, how quickly, I suppose, those water issues can be addressed on peatland areas in terms of slowing the flow of water leaving peatland to try and retain those carbon stocks. Uh, the card grapes, again, there's been a lot of work done on this, on, in particular managing that early and late cover on plots. So again, the CP teams and the scoring cards will be allowing for this sort of action to take place. So you can see scorecards are fundamentally connected within how the local action plan and the delivery of these supplementary actions through non-productive investments and landscape actions are all fixed together to make it all work. So I suppose just to finish then with a couple of uh, key points. <clears throat> Overall, um, Acre CP, it's a five-year contract, so it's mandatory for all own forage CP parcels to be scored. It's optional for the rented or lease parcels to be scored. So again, that's where you need to get into your discussion with the farmers on the ground and to time your, I suppose, attendance doing the scorecard in terms of what land is scored. 
all commonage has to be scored, but it's the CP teams are leading on that. So they're progressing um, through the scoring of that. And again, that will inform uh, payment levels for farmers that are in commonage. Uh, some CP farmers also have general actions. So again, this is this ring fencing where we ring fence private land at 300 euro per hectare and commonage at 145. The balance of money that was available there up to 7,000 could have been used for general actions. Now, some farmers availed of that, that some didn't. So that's again, non-productive investments are trying to bridge a gap there for those that maybe didn't, but could have. Uh, most CP applicants will have both lands inside and outside the CP zone. So some of the non-productive investments are available on land outside the CP zone as it's sort of envisaged that it can help deliver, I suppose, water quality improvement that might be still inside the CP zone. So it's trying to work through that. Um, frequency of scoring. So the scoring is built that it's done every second year. So one, three and five. And then it's optional for the farmer advisor to say they're going to score in years two and four. So that would be an option that will become available next year. And if you're taking the option to score in year two or four, it's all the parcels have to be scored, not just one or two, that it's everything or nothing when you're making that choice. The payment scheme is designed to reward high scoring land, but gives scope to improve um, scores over time um, and thus increasing habitat quality. And then there's the possibility of a landscape bonus as well for farmers that are delivering exceptional environmental quality. So they could have, you know, if farms are scoring at sevens, eight, nines, and tens, there mightn't be that many threats and pressures for them to utilize non-productive investments or landscape actions. So again, this is a way to cover them off that they'd still get a benefit on that. <clears throat> so there's a lot of detail in the scorecards themselves. And the CP teams are on the ground to help locally. And there's a lot of material on the website between guidance material that, that's there on how to use the scorecards. There's tip sheets on how to use the scorecards. There was a, a tutorial provided on the 31st of May in terms of a webinar going through the process of scoring as well. So there's a lot of material there to try and help support the system. And then, as I say, the CP teams, these are contact details for the CP teams, um, you know, that are out there as well, helping the system move along. Um, so I think that's it for me at the moment. So thanks everyone. And that's the web link for Acres and our contact details are on the website then when you get in there. Okay, thanks, Catherine. Thank you very much, John, for a very comprehensive, useful presentation. I think you did mention there's a lot of information out there um, on the website, but I think your yours that was a very useful summary uh, for somebody wanting to get a, a a good overview of it. And just a reminder to everybody that the presentation and the recording, as always, will be available <laughs> on the on the Chagas website. Um, reminder to put questions into the questions and answers. I see lots and lots of questions coming in. Um, we'll group them and try and get to the key ones there. Uh, just one link to next week's webinar, because John did mention Heritage Gates being one uh, one small option available as a non-productive investment. And uh, next week, uh, Shem Caulfield, 
who is an artist and a heritage consultant, is actually talking about the the wrought the wrought iron farm gate, um, our heritage, our history, our responsibility. So that's just a nice talk there, um, and a link to today's one, um. So just before we go to questions, uh, I shall ask Michelle Carney, who is head of the locally led division, if she has any comment to add or please, Michelle. Yeah, thanks, Catherine. And maybe just to re-emphasize some of the points that John made, I, I, I suppose it's about you know, the scale of this program and about the environmental ambition that it's actually trying to actually achieve and to meet those environmental objectives. I, I don't think we can underestimate the ambition here and the fact that this is something new that we're scaling up from what we would have experienced on the European Innovation Partnerships, you know, the results base. So just to give you an example, Catherine, you know, like the EIPs overall had about 3,000 farmers engaged across the various EIPs. And now on the CP zone, we're actually engaging 18,500 farmers and it's actually 46,000 farmers overall. So that just gives you a scale in terms of the interaction um, between the farmers and the various programs. I suppose just to re-emphasize as well, you know, and John, and I mean, he presented it very well in numbers, but it is that integral part of the CP teams, you know, the role of the CP teams themselves, and I suppose the integral success to Acres as a program, you know, like they have a significant workload themselves, and John has demonstrated that through the delineation of fields, the assignment of scorecards, the local action plans they're currently scoring, but also not to underestimate that they are a significant resource also to advisors. You know, already they have carried out 35 one-day um, in-field mandatory training of scorecards. They're currently doing bespoke scorecards. Some of them are going out with advisors separately to walk the fields um, in terms of some of those bespoke cards. So I think that's really a really important point here. And John's last slide is probably very important there in terms of the key contacts because they're willing and able to help. And I think that's the most important thing here. So brilliant. Catherine, I want to leave it there for the moment, if that's okay. That's brilliant, Michelle, and you've covered a few of the questions off there about the CPs and, and contacts and that. Uh, Terry, uh, over to you for some questions, please. Yeah, thanks, Catherine. Yeah, a good few questions, Ian. Look, I'll try and group them together. Maybe the first question, and I presume you could predict this, you heard it at your meetings, uh, Pat or John or Michelle, about the workload involved. Uh, you know, and obviously this is mainly in CP areas where there are a huge amount of scorecards on on some farms required, I think they're saying here, 19 scorecards needed maybe in, in the Kerry region. So I suppose the question being, uh, and may, may, maybe there isn't any handy answer, what can be done about that workload? There's praise for the department technology and the apps. They're brilliant for streamlining, but you still have to physically walk the farms and, and that uh, takes a, a lot of time. So maybe that, that's coming up in, in a few questions, lads. Like I suppose overall, CP teams have been, Assigning the scorecards, they're doing them on the basis, you know, of what they've seen over aerial photography. There's a rationale. I suppose there's different threats and pressures in every field, and they're trying to get at that to give the opportunity to farmers to be able to apply for the non-productive investments, landscape actions that can help bring up their payment overall. And, you know, then it's a results-based, is there different management in the different fields? Um, you know, so like 
we're looking at it. There can't be much done at the moment. It is what it is. The average is somewhere around, you know, 10 to 15 scorecards per farm. It's often less. There is outliers. Those outliers exist in every region. So every team, you know, we can be sure we follow the similar approach. Um, so like we are trying to work through it. We're monitoring the situation with progress here very, very closely and trying to look to see what, what options we do have, you know, so we are very conscious of that workload and again, appreciate the work that advisors are doing, trying to get boots on the ground here and engage with farmers in terms of this work. Okay. Uh, another question came up in a few cases about the NPIs. I know you covered it uh, in your presentation, John. We're meeting farmers now. It is now we need to know the NPI and landscape actions and costings. So have these been taught about and uh, a similar question coming up there. Um, when will the costings for NPIs be available, please? It would be beneficial to have these costings when we are engaging with the farmers at this stage. I suppose we're, we're working very hard on getting those, making those available. Um, at the moment, the costings look that they're not finalised. They'll have to be independently verified as well. We're working on the IT system as well, where the for for uh, where advisors will apply for those. It'll be very similar to the farm sustainability plan and how it works, but it is a brand new system. As you saw from the list that John provided, there is an awful lot of choice there for farmers, and uh, but a lot of these are very different to the actions that were in the farm sustainability plan, and some of them are very similar. But it is a brand new set of costings. Uh, there's a new specification for those non-productive investments and it's a bespoke IT system that has to be built for those. So we are working on it. Hopefully they'll be available over the next few weeks. Uh, I can't give you a definitive date, but we are working to get those, make those available as soon as possible. But I suppose John has put up the list of non-productive investments. I know there are only headings at the moment, but at least farmers will have an idea of what's available and the type of non-productive investments. And we will make more information available as 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 it comes about as, as soon as we can. Like I suppose maybe just to add, one of the important points to know with these supporting actions is they are annual applications and the payment level will reflect an annual level costing. You know, so if you take hedge planting and we're still working through this, it's a payment, it's an application in one year for an action to be delivered in one. And the payment, you know, will be acknowledging, I suppose, those upfront costs of that one action. Yeah, I suppose it's another comment on that that came in from someone. And you're obviously well aware of it, that it's not particularly maybe profit or money, uh, you know, in your back pocket, because it is an investment. So you're, you're spending money to gain money. And I'm sure you're well aware of that. Just a couple of specific questions. I might hand back to you then, Catherine, uh, you know, uh, maybe pointed questions. Is there an area hectares figure available on the riparian zones? I'm not sure sure whether you had one for that, John, on your area uh, hectares uh, presentation there or yes, slide. Yeah. <laughs> there is, but I'd have to come back now on that, that we have one linear length for the riparian zones and some of the riparian zones are wide. So like we just have to back that <clears throat> work that one out. Another question, will trees and hedgerows planted in acres be financially supported on an ongoing basis? Well, in acres general, they have an annual payment and we're trying to factor that then into the one-off payment that would be in this as a supporting action. 
So it'll be, as I say, the approach is slightly different. Okay. Can a farmer with part of his lands inside CP zone do an NPI and parts of his land outside CP zone? Yeah, so there, you saw that there's a, a big list of non-productive investments. There'll be different rules depending on what the non-productive investment is. Some of those non-productive investments will only be allowed on CP lands that are scored, but there are many that will be allowed outside of the CP zone as well on non-scored lands. So an example would be the wild board cover plot, as John mentioned. Tree planting, hedge planting, those type, they will be allowed across the farm. And, and then there'll be restrictions where some some of those NPIs will not be allowed on land that's scored because it's just in contradiction with the results-based approach. And Terry, can I just ask, ask a follow-on one there um, about tillage land? And obviously any glass uh, wild bird cover uh, is tillage land and is not scored under the grassland scorecard. And just to confirm that they may be eligible for some NPIs, Pat? Yeah, they'd be treated the same way. So if there's tillage land inside the CP zone, yeah. that would be treated the same as tillage land outside the CP zone. That's it would be available for... Yeah, so people are just concerned because there's no scorecard, but there's no 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 worry there. Um, ideas coming up for... for um, non-productive investments and presume you'll, you'll take all ideas on, on board and, and may or may not but virtual fencing and also a concern um, that uh, invasive alien species that aren't kind of identified at the moment that crop up or you know specialists only know about but I presume it's an ongoing you will be open and the CP teams will be open to look at any issues that arise. No yeah guarantee. well I suppose yeah. for the for the first year we'll be limited to what's what's currently there that's the way yeah. the IT system has been built that's the way the specifications have been designed but of course yeah that's the way the scheme is meant to work that it's not just top down approach it's it's at a local level so farmers can engage with the CP teams and CT CP teams will engage with ourselves to to develop the scheme as it goes Brilliant. And John, just one big one coming through there about can you give us any uh, your the latest update on uh, acres in the autumn timing or or any any news on that? There will be one. I I well tell me please. Yeah, well I suppose like again we're working towards having a tranche too, but again it's the timing of all this starts to get very congested in the autumn. Um, you yeah. know, so we're just trying to keep everything in that under review where we are at the moment. Okay, but more than likely will be. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there will we're, be. We're, okay. we're planning for that, yeah. We're planning planning for it, yeah, okay. Uh, Terry, any last quick questions, technical no, ones? No, definitely. Sorry, before I say that, to, to, to reiterate that any questions um, from Chagas come in through or the Chagas system and ACA go to the, for the technical questions that we're not getting to um, because they, we will answer them back through. We have good systems in place there. Sorry, Terry. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, the, the Acres too, there was a number of questions in that. I think you, you've answered that. I suppose just I see a couple of questions there. Uh, I'm was great praise for the technology and the app. I see a few problems, questions there. Many problems with like snap, for example, blank screen at the photograph within the parcel stage. So I presume you're hearing that, John and Pat, from maybe around the country that, yeah, so like, yeah, so for any of the technical issues, there is the AgriSnap email address to send anything in. And we are tracking um, some of those points to try and get improvements into the system. Um, so like anything that's done that, maybe we'll deal with it specifically. But there is uh, an AgriSnap email in the first instance 
And if it's on the DLAM end, there's a DLAM email as well. But advisors that are involved know where that is. And as Catherine says, we're trying to, again, for advisors within Chagas to divert and coordinate through Catherine. And again, on the ACA side, and then we're dealing with everything else separate to that. Just one easy one there. Uh, late Mourn Meadow bonus, is it available to people who did not put it on their original farm sustainability plan application? Yeah, the, the late meadow bonus claim is available on all league and low and repeat grassland parcels for the general scheme. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, look, I think we'll wrap up there. Uh, as I said, there are other channels for getting the questions back to you. A reminder that uh, next week, the, the wrought iron farm gate, as I said, our heritage, our history, our responsibility with Chem Caulfield, artist and heritage consultant, um, I want to thank our production team, Andy Boland and Yvonne Maher, and um, thanks to all. And uh, this is the, the first time I actually presented. I've been on the questions before, but thanks to Terry for doing the questions. Uh, Michelle, Pat and John, thank you very much. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.